0: We're in a series, of course, uh, you should know about by now. Uh, We are in a series called Dangerous Church, and we are in part five, and uh, we want to continue that today. We're so glad that all of you are here. Please remember uh, that if you have not filled out that blue card, we do need that information from you, if you would be so gracious as to provide it before you leave. Um, Dangerous Church, so what in the world does that mean? I mean... uh, you know, big banner hanging over the information desk when you walk in the door. Probably some of our guests came in and went, whoa, at least they warned me. Um, I find out some churches are dangerous, and I wish they had warned me earlier on. Don't raise your hand if you've been through that, but I think we probably all have. Um, the reason we called this series Dangerous Church is because that's the opinion we want the, um, the kingdom of darkness to have of us. That's the opinion we want the enemy to have of our church and of us individually. A lady uh, came up to me uh, at the bridge last night, and she had read a little quote that I thought was really cool, and I wish I'd written it down. But it said something like um, uh, that that this person wished or hoped or prayed. That, uh, that they walked so intimately with the Lord that when they got up in the morning, a big announcement was made in hell. He's awake. Everybody get ready. He's awake. So I want to have that kind of walk with God, don't you? I want to make the enemy tremble when he thinks about my relationship with God, not when he thinks about me, because I have, I have no power against the enemy. Um, the enemy can easily defeat me apart from the protection that the Lord provides but uh, I want him when the enemy looks at my life, I want him to say he's walking with God he's going to be that's going to be a tough battle right there and that's the that's the opinion that I want him to have of our church and what we're trying to do in this city. I love that song that uh, was used in one of the videos this morning. Uh, There's more to be done in this city. I think we'll always sing that song, no matter what we do, no matter no matter that we accomplish our vision of a multi-site location, I think we'll always sing that song. Until Jesus comes, there's always more to be done in this city. John, thank you for that song this morning. That was awesome. If I could sing, I'd sing like John. I want you all to know that if I could do it. Um, but I want to I be a threat to the kingdom of darkness. I want to make, uh, make that kingdom tremble. Now when we talk about a dangerous church, there are many things that make a church dangerous. Uh, Faith-filled prayer. If a church has a powerful prayer ministry, and we do, uh, it will make the enemy tremble. It will be a dangerous church to him. If a church is a bold witness, if they are not um, caught up in the stained glass barrier. But if they get beyond the walls of the church and they reach out to the lives of other people who do not yet know Christ, that is a threat to the enemy. Consistent joy, overflowing bubbly joy um, is a threat. Willing service. When you volunteer to serve and you don't care if anybody notices or if your name gets in the worship program, I mean it may or it may not, and you may not ever get an award or leader of the month or pat on the back, but when you're willing to serve and you don't care about that, you don't care about recognition, uh, that, that, when, when you do that, see, see, we think when we're praying and fasting and, and reading our Bible and witnessing, we think those things um, make us a dangerous church, and they do, but we forget about things like you just don't know how you shake up the kingdom of darkness when you serve with a smile. That just rips him apart. He hates that. He hates it. Uh, Unconditional love, a a church that loves everybody, an individual who loves everybody, uh, is a church that is a threat to the enemy. Godly leadership. That's what we're talking about in this series is godly leadership. And so um, if a church has a strong network of leaders who have sought God and understand what their giftings are and how they can lead and how they fit in the overall scheme of things and in the body of Christ, which is called the local church. And they serve and they lead faithfully and they lead with boldness and they lead based on a very close and healthy relationship with God. When a church has that, that is a dangerous church. Let's read in the Bible, Proverbs eleven fourteen. The Bible says, without wise leadership, a nation is in trouble. We just um, received new leadership. There was an election while I was away, and uh, Barack Obama was elected the president of the United States of America. And um, you may not agree with his policies, some of his policies, or you may not agree with some of the things you think that he's going to do based on what he's done in the past or decisions he's made in the past. But let's pray for him. And let's believe that God will speak to his heart and that God will lead him. And i got to tell you something. If I was an African-American... I would be so delighted to know that these United States of America have finally broken through the racial barrier and a man of color can be elected president of our country. I think we ought to give God praise that we have broken that racial barrier and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. I, I, um, I would have loved to seen Condoleezza Rice break that racial barrier. That would have been good and J.C. Watts and... Um, so, so Barack Obama and I have some differences politically, but I love him, and I'm going to pray for him, and I'm going to believe God to speak to his heart. Um, I know that, that you have strong opinions, and I know, you know, emails and, and all the rumors and things, but I believe I see an opening there for God to work in his life and for God to lead him. and He's in a position he's never been in before. And so let's believe God for a great work in his life. I pray he'll be a very successful president because I love my country. Amen, amen. And there are people that have wished for the demise of President Bush since the first day he went in. And I don't wish for the demise of this new president I pray for his success because I love my God and I love my country. Is that all right? Y'all okay with that? All right. Let's move on. Um, But the Bible says, without wise leadership, a nation is in trouble. Uh, Without wise leadership, a family is in trouble. A church is in trouble. A community, uh, the world is in trouble without wise leadership. Because when you really think about it, everything rises or falls on leadership. I mean, think about it. Everything rises or falls on the quality of leadership in that organization. Maybe you've never thought of yourself as a leader, but I want to tell you that you are. Because leadership boils down to a very simple word, influence. If you're influencing one person, then you're leading that person. And if you're leading somebody, you're a leader. So you are a leader today because you are a person of influence. We're looking at seven leadership principles from the life of Jesus Christ. Seven leadership principles, and we've talked about four of them. First of all, leadership principle number one, identification. Strong, effective leaders know who they are. Now, how do you find out who you are? Now, here's how you find out who you are. Write this down. Watch Dr. Phil, and you'll find out who you are. You don't watch Dr. Phil to find out who you are. You don't watch Oprah to find out who you are. You don't watch Fox News to find out who you are or CNN. You don't read books to find out who you are, except for one book, the Bible. It'll help you find out who you are. You find out who you are by getting with the one who made you and allowing the one who made you, your brilliant creator, to say to you who you are, to show you who you are, to reveal to you who you are. And, and, the, and when I go through identity crisis in my life, it's because I've moved away from God. When I'm close to God, I understand my purpose. I understand who I am and who God made me to be. And when you understand who you are, you have all kinds of security And not security, when I say that, I don't mean pride or arrogance, but you just know who you are and you know who you're not. You don't try to be somebody you're not, and and you don't try to not be who God said you should be. So identity. Number two, this is the one I believe, uh, uh, this was the last one I, I spoke on before I went on vacation, clarification. And that is that a good leader knows what his purpose is on this earth. He knows what God wants him to do on this earth. And then principle number three, I believe Pastor Jared did this one on motivation. We got to know who we're trying to please. If you're a good leader, you got to know who you're pleasing. Leadership principle number four, Pastor Andy did this one, collaboration. And that is that if you're going to be a good leader, you better be somebody who knows how to build a team of people who know how to do what you don't know how to do. How many of y'all know Pastor Farrell's good at about two or three things, but I, I have tried to build a team of people who are way better at the stuff that I'm not good at to come on and help me do what I do. A good leader knows that he can't do it all. You ever been in one of those churches, and don't call out any names or anything, but you ever been in one of those churches where the pastor just had to be at every meeting? He had to be at every event. He had to know everything that was going on. Man, when I walked in this morning, I didn't even know the way they opened up the service. Didn't you love that with the Word of God and just, just a little different? And you, We want to do it like that. I didn't know that was going to happen. These guys do a great job planning our services. And um, I, I just, I, I, I want people who have the, uh, the creative gifts, I want them to be able to flow in those gifts. If I try to have my hand on all of that or have input into all that, I'm not going to help it. I'm going to hurt it. I'm going to hurt it. So we got to be able to trust our team. you got to have a team if you're leading, but you got to be able to trust them and not think you have to do it all yourself. And the people said. Today's message is uh, principle number five, concentration. Now in your sermon notes, I believe that word is spelled wrong. And I also want to tell you that it is not my fault. I'm going to be very clear about that. Uh, I have secretaries, uh, one of them might be here, and uh, they really, really blew it on this one. So, uh, certainly not me, uh, so me make that clear. Um, so, C-O-N-C-E-N-T-R-A-T-I-O-N, concentration, and uh, it means, this means that I must know what's really important. If I am going to be an effective leader, I got to know what's priority. What is the priority? How many of you are familiar with a uh, life coach, uh, motivational speaker, Anthony Robbins? You ever heard of him? Ever heard of Anthony Robbins? Evidently not. Here's what he said. He said, uh, and I love this statement. He said, most people have no idea of the great capacity we can immediately command when we focus all of our resources on mastering a single area of our lives. I want you to hear this again. Most people have no idea of the great capacity we can immediately command when we focus all our resources on mastering a single area of our lives. He's talking about focus. I gotta tell you, um, our problem... Um, my problem, I'm working on this too, is that we've got this much peanut butter, and we're trying to spread it on a piece of bread about the size of this tabletop right here. And I don't know about you all, but I when I'm going to have some peanut butter, I want it on all parts of the bread, and I want it about that thick. And if you're not going to bring it like that, just keep your peanut butter, because <laughs> you're just going to give me enough to make me mad. Amen. Is there anybody else here like me about 10 o'clock at night? Can you hear peanut butter calling you from the pantry? <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I don't know why Millie doesn't hear it. Sometimes it gets real loud, Farrell. And then sometimes it gets like real reverent, Pastor Farrell. <laughs> I love peanut butter. But our lives, because we try to be, we try to be so many things to so many people, We try to feel so many roles and we have, we're going in, and and listen, I'm telling you, I'm preaching to me here today. Um, A business consultant, Nito Cuban said, Nothing can add more power to your life than concentrating all your energies on a limited set of targets. Let me say that again. Nothing can add more power to your life than concentrating all your energies on a limited set of targets. Look what Paul said. Paul said in Philippians 3 and 13, this one thing I do. This one thing I do. And then he talks about forgetting some stuff and focusing on the one thing. And that's what this message is about today. And guys, I know I say this a lot when I'm preaching, and I'm probably going to say it a whole lot today because I'm telling you, this is an area of my life I am really Opening up to God and letting him work on me in this area. But to be an effective leader, to be an effective influencer, we've got to be able to discern and decide a limited set of targets that we're going to focus on. And stop trying to do things God never intended us to do. Now I want you to notice I use the word discern there. So to know what I'm talking about knowing today. To know what is most important for your life. You have to get that from him. You have to get it from him. There's no other place to get it. Notice the word discern. The word discern is a a spiritual word. It's not a natural word. In order for you to know this this important one thing for your life, you've got to be on your face before the, the only one who knows. And his name is Jesus. And you get before him and you pray and and you say, God, I know there are many things I could do. I know that. But, God, what is the primary thing you have for my life? What is the one thing that you want me to do? The ability to discern and decide what is most important for your life comes from a life of prayer as a leader. Because life is filled with thousands of distractions that come at us every day. And these distractions interrupt us and prevent us from focusing on what God has declared is important. So many other voices are declaring things that are important we have got to somehow through prayer and through just getting alone with him, turn all those other voices off and allow him to speak to us so we don't hear all these other things coming into our hearts and mind. Does anybody battle with this thing of distraction more than, I mean, am I the only one? Anybody else out there? Do y'all, anybody get up in the morning and you pretty much got your day planned and your phone starts ringing? Do you remember what I told y'all right before I left? God has a plan for your life, but so does everybody else. Y'all had not forgot that, have you? And so we're distracted by by all kinds of cell phones. And, you know, probably this is the only time I wish one would kind of go off right now in service to just show you what I'm talking about. Cell phones, and I see people checking theirs right now. That's really a good thing to do. Cell phones going off, land phones, beepers, and, and email alarms. And I've got this program on my computer that goes, um, I, I'm just sitting there. I, I'll be in a coffee shop or I'll be, have y'all seen my new office? You have got, <laughs> y'all got to go see my office. They did a makeover of my office while I'm gone, while I was going on vacation. Uh, unbelievable. And it looks like a coffee shop. My office looks like a coffee shop now. And here I figured out, after me and my wife talked, that if they made it look like a coffee shop, I would come to work more. <laughs> so I think that's going to work. I think it's going to work. I have a. Co- they they gave me a coffee pot that you pour the beans in, and it crunches up the beans. Is that the right word? Whatever. And uh, <laughs> and and then the coffee goes through the the uh, the beans, it's unbelievable and uh, Jim Gillikin, they kicked him out, that was awesome right there and I'm by myself and I got a sofa so I'll probably be here at the office even more now but anyway, um, I don't even know what I was going to say now. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I was in, and, and this little thing goes off. Uh, Anthony back there put this thing on my computer. It's a vast security. I don't know if I've got that on yours. But this guy comes on and goes, your computer has now been updated. <laughs> I'm going to shut that guy up, but have everybody else talk on there that needs to talk. I can't shut that guy up. So we got all this stuff in our life, all these voices pouring into our life, distractions, things just pulling at us and people depending on us and our lives are so busy. It is very easy to miss what God has said is most important in our life. I'm not saying this because all distractions are bad. As a matter of fact, this is really the problem. What I'm about to talk about is really the problem. Most of us aren't distracted by, by temptations to do sinful things. Here's what the enemy has done. He has distracted us from the best and gotten us to settle for the good. And I know I've talked about that before and mentioned that before. But I want to just reiterate that because that's your battle. 98% of you sitting in here right now, your battle is not. The temptation to commit a sin. Your battle is the temptation to settle for something good rather than be determined to do the best you can do. Here's our problem our problem, not yours, ours. We have a hard time saying no. We have a hard time saying no because we. We don't want to hurt people and, and we don't want to, to cause conflict. And so we end up saying yes to things we should have said no to. And all of a sudden our life is so filled with good things, we're not doing the best things. And that's the plan of the enemy. If he can't get you to sin, which is his ultimate goal, because if he can get you to sin, then not only is he against you, but then you have a division between you and God and you're kind of out there on a, alone on an island. That's what the enemy's trying to do to you. That's what he's trying to do when he tempts you to sin. He wants to get a division between you and God because then that really opens the door for him to do more in your life. Y'all with me? So if he can't get you to actually commit a sin, then what he wants to do is get you to focus on secondary things in your life rather than primary, most important. Stuff that God has said is most important. He wants you to put your eyes on the secondary things and just settle for that. Here's the point. Remember what we're talking about, leadership. You will never be the leader God wants you to be if you are focused on secondary things that may be good, but they're not best. You say, you've got to give me examples. I can't give you examples. That's your deal. That's your deal with you and God. What may be primary for me may be secondary for you, and what may be secondary for you may be a primary thing for me. Now, of course, all of us need to have primary in our life, stuff like prayer, of course, and, and the Word of God, and those kind of things that make us strong and healthy and and uh, serving and volunteering and and, um, you know, just a lot of things all of us need to make primaries. But then there are specific things about each one of us that God has called us to do individually that he hasn't really called any other person to do the way we can do it and the way he has in mind for us to do it. So that's why we can't settle for secondary things. That's why we've got to say, no, 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 the secondary things are good, but I've got I've to find out i got to find out that primary thing. I mean, I want God on that last day to look at me and go, well done, well done. I don't, wanna, I don't want Jesus to look at me on that last day and go, you made it the way you passed algebra. <laughs> you know? Well done from him. So Jesus is our model. Let's talk about that very quickly. Uh, when Jesus walked on the face of the earth, he was the master of concentration. He was the master of focus. Remember what we're talking about here this morning. Distractions. Things that distract us from the primary thing. He focused his life like a laser. He refused to be distracted. Jesus set his face like a flint and moved forward. Do you remember how they tried to pull him oh, you can't go there and, and uh, we got to go here and you're supposed to be here at a certain time and you can't stop and pray for that person because we've got an appointment with some uh, very important people. And Jesus would always look at them like, you poor doofus. I mean, but he never said that. But he, you know, Jesus would just look at them like, just chill out, guys. I know what I'm supposed to be doing but they were always remember that little booklet i told you about i hope you've bought it the tyranny of the urgent it's very urgent that you buy that the tyranny of the urgent don't forget that little booklet look what this word look what this scripture says right here luke 9:51 as the time grew near for his return to heaven he moved steadily onward toward jerusalem with an iron wheel that is jesus That is in reference to Jesus, iron will. Now, Luke 9.51 is right here. We're on a timeline. Let's do a little timeline. Luke 9.51 is right here when that was written, is right here in time. And it says that the time of Jesus' departure and going to heaven, it's down here. Now, from the time Luke 9.51, I mean the timeline, not when it was written, but The timeline of that event it is referring to and Jesus going to heaven. Some pretty important things happened right in there. And one of them was, y'all with me? The cross. Burial in a borrowed tomb. And a borrowed tomb is fine if you're just going to use it on the weekend. (laughs) Some of y'all get that going home. And so... Jesus died on the cross, was buried in a borrowed tomb, three days later rose from the dead, 40 days after that ascended to heaven, just like this verse says, Luke 9, 51, as the time grew near for his return to heaven, he moved steadily onward toward Jerusalem with an iron wheel. Now, here's what I'm saying to you. I'm saying to you that for your benefit, for your benefit, for my benefit, Jesus focused on the one thing. Now, i got to tell you something. If I had known what Jesus knew, and that is that he would be humiliated, and he would be tortured, and he would suffer, and he would die, and he would be buried in a borrowed tomb, i got to tell you something. If I knew that was coming in my future weeks ahead, I could probably get pretty easily distracted from going down that path. But the Bible says Jesus, knowing this was going to happen to him, Set himself with an iron will to go exactly where he was supposed to go, go through exactly what he had to go through, die that humiliating, painful, agonizing death, be placed in a borrowed tomb, rise from the dead, ascend into heaven, and one day he will be coming soon. But Jesus, with an iron will and for your benefit, Refused to be distracted from his purpose of being on this earth. He came to die and give his life a ransom for your lost soul. And he let nothing distract him from that. Here's my point. If my Jesus can focus on his one thing for my benefit then I owe it to him to find out what it is he wants me to focus on and focus on it and not be distracted from it. An iron wheel. He was persistent, determined, focused. The truth is you have incredible spiritual potential. I have incredible spiritual potential. All of us do. But that spiritual potential is not going to be realized in our lives until we break through this barrier of discerning and deciding on what's really important in our lives. And that's something you have to work out on your own. You cannot meet with me and find out what that is. If you come meet with me, I'll be happy to meet with you. But what I'm going to say is you need to get on your face. You need to turn the TV off. Turn off all the voices that distract and get alone with God. I'm telling you right now that if you will do that, God will speak to you. God wants to say some things to you, but God doesn't. He can't get a word in edgewise. We've got to get in a place where we can hear him. Some guys were talking to Jesus one day. And uh, Jesus said to them, if you want to understand what the most important thing is, guys, he said, it's this. Listen, listen. He said, you must follow me. You ever remember that in the Bible when he told those guys, he said, you must follow me. You have to follow me. And they said, oh, we know that that is the most important thing. We realize that is the most important thing. But first, can I go in? And then the other one said, oh, I know, Jesus, that's so important. And believe me, I will follow you eventually. But right now, I have to. Now, let me tell you how serious Jesus is about you not being distracted and staying focused. Look what it says in Luke nine sixty two. Here's what he said to those guys. He said, anyone who lets himself be distracted from the work I plan for him is not fit for the kingdom. Whoa. That's pretty strong right there. I mean, Jesus did not pull any punches, did he? Jesus didn't say, well, okay, but get back to me as soon as you can. Jesus said, if you think anything is more important than following me, then you're not fit for the kingdom of God. There's another story in Jesus' life, and it's in uh, Luke 10. Let's read it very quickly as we close this message. Um, and when I say in closing, tell our guests what that means. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Um, Luke 10, uh, 38, the Lord and his disciples were traveling traveling along and came to a village. When they got there, a woman named Martha, do y'all remember Martha? Jesus loved Martha. There's a verse in the Bible and all it says is Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. That's all that verse says. That's awesome. But he loves you too. When they got there, a woman named Martha welcomed him, Jesus, into her home. She had a sister named Mary. Notice this who sat down in front of the Lord and was listening to what he said. Martha was worried about all that had to be done. Finally, she went to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm sorry. I just know how Millie talks to me when she's kind of (laughs) upset. Mr. Preacher. Um... Oh, great holy one. Uh, so, so Martha says, uh, Lord, doesn't it bother you that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to come and help me. Boy, Martha was blunt, wasn't she? She's was one of those people, if it came in her brain, it pretty much came out of her mouth. The Lord said, Martha, Martha. And when you you study how Jesus reacted to Martha, he did not say, Martha, Martha. He said it tenderly. Because, see, Jesus knows our struggle. Y'all with me? And we can be hard on Martha if we want to this morning, but we've all been Martha. Last night at the bridge, I said, I... I have been Martha. And I said, somebody's going to take that statement out of that tape and put, Pastor says he's been a woman at one time. (laughs) uh, You have to be careful these days. The Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about so many things. You got a little bit of peanut butter, Martha, and you're trying to put it on a great old big piece of bread. You're worried and upset about so many things, but only, only y'all with me? Only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen what is best, and Martha, it will not be taken away from her. <laughs> that is so awesome. I mean, Jesus... Looks at Martha and goes, you know, you got a little flour on your nose there, Martha, because I know you're in there frying chicken, and we appreciate it. (laughs) Because I love me some fried chicken, and, you know, and I love me some Jesus. (laughs) But Jesus comes first. See, because that's what Martha was doing. She was in there banging pots and pans trying to put grub on the table. Because I got to tell you something, when Jesus showed up to eat dinner, he brought 12 hungry preachers with him. So Martha saw them coming. I can see her, boy, she's got on an apron, you know. Can't you picture? Hey, how y'all doing? I don't know if that's what she said, but if they'd lived down here, that's the way it would have been. Come on in the house. I'm going to go out and get. Lazarus, go out there and get some stuff, bring it in. Let's start cooking. And boy, Martha's just cooking. And she looks, and all of a sudden she's the only one in there cooking. She's got this big mess in the kitchen. Everybody else is in there doing Bible study. So Martha's like, we got to eat some groceries here. I appreciate your Bible study, but we got to have some food here. You know, it's been hard for me not to be on Martha's side on this deal, i got to tell you. But in the, Martha's cooking, and over here in this other room is the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. So what do you think's most important? I think what's most important is what Mary did. She got down at the feet of Jesus. Not what Martha did. Was what Martha was doing, was it good? A good thing? You better believe it. It was a very good thing, but it wasn't what needed to be being done at that moment. There was something more important. And I love what Jesus said right at the end, verse 42. He said, it will not be taken away from her. I think that when Jesus said that, I think he was saying, you do what is best and I'll take care of your criticizers. You go ahead and do what's best and I'll take care of your criticizers. You remember there was another time Mary got criticized. Do you remember that one? Remember when Lazarus had died and Jesus raised him from the dead and Jesus came by again on another occasion because see, Mary and Martha and Lazarus were very good friends of Jesus and so they would come by and and uh, Jesus would come by. You know, you got people that you visit them and you kind of sit proper, and but then you got people you can go visit and kick your shoes off, throw your feet up on the coffee table and that's the way Jesus felt when he went to their house. So when Jesus dropped by, man, it was all hugs and kisses and we're glad you're here and and uh, they honored him, but everybody felt very comfortable around each other, evidently. And Jesus was teaching, and, and y'all have heard me tell this story before, and you've read it many times in the Bible. And Mary was sitting at his feet, and she had her chin in her hands, and she was just drinking in every word Jesus said. And she got to thinking about how her brother was dead, and Jesus showed up, and they were mad at him. And they said, if you'd come two days earlier, he wouldn't have died. And he said, don't worry about it. I am the resurrection and, and the life. Don't, just don't worry about it, girls. i God. Roll the stone away. Lazarus, come forth. And she remembers how her brother came hopping out of that grave because they had mummify, mum, mummified him. They had wrapped him in grave clothes from head to toe. And he comes hopping out. Right, it's just kind of funny to me. I see funny stuff in the Bible. And Jesus saw him and said, loose him and let him go. And Mary was sitting there that day with her chin in her hands thinking about that. And all of a sudden she's jumped up and ran out and got this box. It was full of spikenard, ointment, perfume, Chanel. (laughs) Number 47.3. And the Bible doesn't say she took the lid off and gave Jesus a little bit of it. The Bible says she broke it because she wanted him to have it all. And she poured it all over Jesus and took her hair down and used it like a towel and just Washed it all over Jesus' feet and all over his body, and the room filled with perfume. Now, you want to get some gossip going? Let somebody come in here and do that to the pastor. <laughs> and a guy said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? If we had have sold it, we could have given the money to the poor. That guy was Judas. He's going to sell Jesus a couple pages over in your Bible for a bag of silver. And when, and when those criticize and the Bible says, it's in, I think it's in Mark, um, Mark 14 maybe. And the Bible says, um, they murmured. They murmured against her. Church folks, I can't imagine church folks murmuring. You ever thought about that word murmur? It really sounds like murmuring. It sounds like complaining. Murmur, murmur. Murmur. murmur, 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 murmur. I'm sure that looks good on the big screen, right there. But i have always thought that word "murmur" sounds like the noise you make when you're griping. So today, if I don't like lunch, I'm gonna just gonna murmur, murmur. Billy murmur. You will know, point at Bo James. Go down there. Um, so they're murmuring against her, and Jesus goes, uh, "Hey, Judas." You're going to always have the poor with you. Let her alone. Man, Jesus saying, let her alone. I think I would have let her alone. Let her alone. She has wrought a good work on me. Isn't that awesome? And then he said, she's done what she could. And what he meant was, she did all she could. Here's how Mary looked at it when she thought about how good Jesus had been to her. She thought if I had a 50-gallon barrel full of this stuff, I'd pour every bit of it on Jesus because he's worthy. So when people worship a little bit more openly than you do and you don't get it and maybe you're a little bit uncomfortable with how they worship or maybe they lift their hands a little bit too much or they get to moving around a little bit too much, maybe you don't know what God's done for them. Amen. So when you see somebody doing something like that, why don't you just look over there and go, man, God must have just really done something awesome for them this week. Instead of going, oh, I remember, remember. <laughs> Amen. That's good preaching. Make a tape of this. I want to hear it. Podcast. Podcast. Yeah, it's free. Listen. <laughs> Distraction. Here, here's our, I'm not telling you guys, you're not, most of y'all sitting here, you're not distracted by, by sin, really. You've made up your mind. You're not going there. Most of us sitting here today are distracted by the good instead of the best. Have courage. Have courage because it's going to take it. You're going to make somebody mad when you say, no, can't do that. You're going to make somebody uh, upset somebody but you've got to be able to do it because you need to be a wife and a husband and a mom and a child to your parents. There's a lot of things that you can't be distracted from. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. And we just pray that um, your awesome, eternal, infallible, inerrant word would just sink deep into our hearts that we would not just agree with it but we would practice it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, God bless you.